All right, so we are in week three of our series looking at the seven I am names that Jesus declared himself as recorded in John's gospel. Um, I hope you're enjoying it so far. Yeah, good. Joe brought an incredible message last week looking at I am the light of the world. But I don't know about you, but I take just real encouragement that we have a light in the person of Jesus Christ and that actually he brings a light into this dark world that we live in, whether you find yourselves in challenges or struggles or temptation or whatever it may be, that actually Jesus brings light into our darkness. And when he shows up, the darkness flees, doesn't it? When he shows up, the darkness flees and we're just surrounded by his comfort and his peace and the boldness to go out there and do what he's calling us to do. So this week we are moving on to the fourth I am. I am the door. Everyone say, he is the door. Mm, Look like you're talking for a while. (laughs) We like a bit of participation. It's good. Speak to me. As long as you don't heckle, it's all good. Okay, so we're reading from John's Gospel, chapter 10, and I'm just going to read the first 10 verses. Don't get confused. In my Bible, it's headed, I am the good shepherd. That's next week. Two I am's in one chapter, but we're going to do one a week. So this week, it's the door. So starting at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill And destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door. A friend of mine was telling me uh, about a trip they went on uh, back in December. They went on a walk to Ingleton Falls. Um, And when they got there, they arrived at the car park. And from memory, and and I remember this as well, it used to be you pay for your car to park and then up you go on this walk. But when they arrived, everything had changed. And so no longer do you pay for your car, but you pay per person to get into this thing of nature. You have to pay to see a waterfall that God created, money-making scheme. So as the the man of the house, he thought, I'm not having any of this. It was like eight pounds a head or something ridiculous, rather than eight pounds for your car. So he's like, I'm not having any of this. We'll find a different route. You can see where this is going, can't you? So... Not wanting to be seen, they snuck a bit out of the way, found an extra route and a different route in. They found this fence, barbed wire, perhaps suggested this is not the route to be taking, but 
coat over, over they went, kids in tow, over the fence, into this crazy woodland area, trying to find their way. Now they're over the fence, past the charge, up to the path that is, you know, man-made to get us to see this, this waterfall. And from what I've heard... The kids were not best pleased. There was a lot of trudging through fields. There was getting stuck. There was getting scraped on the barbed wire. And at one point, they were so close to a sheer drop that there could have been death. This was a very dangerous route to be taking. But eventually, they made it to the path and they got to see this stunning waterfall. But this journey, they went out of the way because they didn't want to go through the main gate. They weren't willing to pay, and I quite understand that, if I'm honest. I think it's obscene to have to pay to see a thing of nature, but it's, it's just, it made, had me in fits. There was even a photo of one of the children in floods of tears. Nothing says good father than a photo of your child crying. We have done the same to our kids. But there are only two doors in life. And if you read Matthew's gospel, it talks about paths and it talks about gates, one being wide and one being narrow. But there are two doors and one of those doors leads to life and the other leads to death. And this door to death, it'll present itself in in many different forms and it presents itself in, in many different ways to entice you in, to entice you through, to entice you down this path. And that might look in a whole different number of ways, but it will offer you pleasure and it will offer you excitement and it will offer you things to entice you in. But no matter what that route has to offer, the destination is always the same and the destination is death. But the door to life, however, it only has one form. And it only has one way, and it's through one man, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so once again this morning, we're going to look back a few chapters in order to give ourselves some context for this next I am that we are looking at. I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying kind of digging into the context of these verses and these sayings and and actually learning things that I, I never knew before. So last week, I didn't know about these 70-foot candelabras that were lit at the Feast of Tabernacles that then set the the context for Jesus declaring, I am the light. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. So we're going to jump back again a couple of chapters into John chapter 8. Just get some context here. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus here, he's speaking to, uh, he's speaking to the Jews. But what we see is there's, Jew, there's Jews who believe and who follow in Jesus, and then there's Jews who don't. And so these words from Jesus, they spark this tension amongst the people because he's talking about them being freed, about them being set free. And so if you read on, they come back to him and they say, we don't need to be set free because our father is God. We are descendants of Abraham. We aren't slaves to anyone. But Jesus responds back to them, verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me, Jesus. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear 
to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar. He is the father of lies. Wow, no wonder there is some tension in the room right now, because essentially Jesus is saying, you are following your father, yes, but your father isn't God. Your father isn't Abraham. Your father is the devil. Wow. There were some strong words right there, but what's happening, what we're seeing here is just some groundwork being laid down for what's to come because Jesus declared, I am the door. And some people trying to find other routes in to heaven, they try to find other routes to God, but Jesus says, you are not with me. You don't understand me. You don't understand why I am here. And he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the unbelieving Jews who instead of recognizing Jesus for who he is, the prophesied Messiah, the Savior who they were looking for, who they've been waiting for, instead of focusing on Jesus, their focus is on the law, the law of Moses and sticking to this set of rules and regulations and essentially trying to find a way to God, trying to work or earn their way into the presence of God, trying to do it in their own strength. That was this alternative route that they were trying to take. But Jesus says, he who isn't with me is against me. And then he just, he describes them, doesn't he, as thieves and of robbers that have come to steal and kill and destroy. And these are really strong words. He's, he's really given it to them in this conversation, this narrative. But this idea that Jesus is putting across here, it's, it's then further emphasized by what, hap- what happens in the next chapter, in chapter 9, where we see Jesus healing a blind man. You see, Jesus walked past this man who had been blind from birth and and he takes pity on him. He has compassion for him. And so he, he spits in the ground and he creates some mud and then he smears this mud on the blind man's eyes. And he says, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And so the man goes with his muddy eyes and he, he washes himself in this pool and he's healed. He's healed. It's miraculous. Well, this act, this miracle that Jesus performed, it just blows up. It gets way out of proportion. And so this this man who has been blind from birth and now is healed is dragged before the Pharisees and before the religious leaders because no one believed that this guy was the same one who had been blind from birth. They were doubting that a miracle had even taken place. And so they brought him in for questioning. And so the Pharisees begin to question him, but the reality is that's putting it lightly because they just full on begin to grill this guy, asking him again and again, what happened? How did it happen? Who did this thing that you are talking about? They even call this man's parents in to testify that yes, this is their son. And yes, he has been blind from birth so that actually they can recognize that a miracle did take place here. Something amazing has happened here. But this this reaction, this interaction, this, this quizzing and questioning of this blind man is bonkers. It's way out of proportion of what has just happened. 
And so we see the Pharisees, they're just getting more and more mad and more and more frustrated that this man has been healed. Why on earth they would be upset that a man had been healed, I don't know, but they were just getting so frustrated. They were mad not only that he'd been healed, but that he was declaring that a prophet, a man of God, had done this healing. And more than that, they were mad because this healing was done on the Sabbath, the sacred day, the holy day. And so they get so worked up and frustrated and angry that it says they cast him out. They're the words that are used in my Bible. It says cast out. But if you look into the original language, it's not talking about just thrown out of the temple or even thrown out of the the town that he lived in. This is like full-on excommunication of this man. They cut him off from the Israelites. They cut him off from the, the Jewish nation and they just heap on him ruin and destruction because of what he's declaring. It's absolutely insane. You know, they were mad for many, many reasons, but the thing that sparked their anger was the testimony of this man. It was his testimony that that kind of initially brought around their frustration because there's power in his testimony. And I believe there's power in your testimony as well. This man spoke of who Jesus was and just how much he had done for him. And so even when the Pharisees were grilling him and and judging him and, and doubting his declaration, this man continued to speak the truth with confidence, with boldness. Jesus is of God and it was him who healed me. I have been healed because of this man of God. There was power in this man's testimony and there's power in your testimony. So I want to encourage you this morning that no matter what people might say, no matter what people might think, no matter what judgment or or criticism might come your way, no matter how often people try to downplay the amazing things that God has done for you, or they try to explain it away with logic when you know that a miracle has happened, I encourage you to keep on standing firm, to keep on proclaiming the truth of God, the good news of God about who he is And just how much he has done for you. Share your testimony with boldness and allow the power of God to come alive through your story. There's power in your testimony. That was just an aside that has nothing to do with Jesus being the door. But I thought it was important as I was reading it. It just, I don't know, it stuck out to me. So I thought we'd go there just for a moment. And then look at this. When Jesus heard that they had cast this man out, they'd excommunicated him, they'd, they'd cut him off. Jesus then finds the man, John chapter 9, 35, and says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He worshipped him. This man was rejected by men, but he was accepted by God. He was, re- he was rejected by men, but he was accepted by God. And then this is an affirmation of what we said in week one of this series, isn't it? That actually all that we need to do to, to find Jesus, to receive our salvation, all that we need to do is simply believe. 
We just need to simply believe. And then that flowing through those two chapters brings us up to our key passage for this morning where Jesus declares, I am the door. And I think it's important that we look at the context that you look back in your Bible reading when you're reading any passage just to understand what's gone before, what's led up to this moment. And for me, as I was reading that, uh, what I glean is that essentially the Pharisees are seeing themselves as a doorway. They're seeing themselves as a door because they intercede for people. They uphold the, the laws of Moses In one sense, they are a a shepherd to their flock, aren't they? And yet when this Jew, this blind man, one of their own, is healed miraculously by Jesus, this man of God, they didn't celebrate with him. They didn't rejoice with him. They didn't get excited that one of their own was blind but can now see. Instead of what I can only assume is the natural response, it's how I would respond if this happened, instead of being overjoyed at this, this, um, this declaration, this testimony that they're hearing, they cast him out. They cut him off. They say, you are no longer one of us. They saw this, te- this man's testimony as a threat to their own position. They saw him as a threat to their own authority. What they... They cared more about their own power than God's power. They cared more about their own glory than God's glory. They cared more about their own control than God's control. They cared more about their own ways than God's ways. And they cared more about their own will than God's will. But Jesus said, Jesus declared, I am the door. I am the door. And he's communicating to the Pharisees, and I believe he's also communicating to us that he is not only the door, but he is the only door into a relationship with God. He is the only door into eternal life. He is the only door through which we enter in order to be forgiven for our sins. Through his death and through his resurrection power, He opened the doorway into heaven so that we can enter through him into the presence of our heavenly father, almighty God. When we miss Jesus, like the Pharisees missed Jesus in this moment, we find ourselves walking in darkness. We find ourselves living in darkness like we talked about last week. But Jesus is the light and he said, I am the door. And the good news is he's inviting you in. He's inviting you in. Now, I love that that a lot of the time through Jesus' words, he uses this analogy of sheep. You know, it was culturally relevant because they were a very agricultural people and I am not a farmer and I don't know a lot about animals. But what I do know about sheep is that sheep are stupid. Who knows sheep are stupid? They are very, very stupid. And so he is calling not only them sheep, but he's calling us sheep. We are sheep. Take from that what you will. But sheep are stupid. They spend their days grazing around the fields and wandering from place 
to place, never really looking up. They're just focused on the grass because this is my life. This is what I'm into. And because they spend most of their lives looking down, they often find themselves getting lost. And they have no kind of natural homing signal like a lot of other animals do. They're totally incapable of finding their way home, of finding their way to the sheep pen or sheep fold. Even when it's right in front of them, they, they can't find it. That's how stupid they are. By nature, sheep are followers. So if the lead sheep, the leader of the crowd, walks off a cliff, then the rest of them will walk off a cliff, like lemmings. Does anyone remember the computer game lemmings, where you would just kind of guide these, they would just walk in a straight line and you had to put protection in their way. Sheep need help, they need guidance, they need protection, they need security and comfort, and so do we. They need it, and so do we. In the countryside, sheep would have been kept in a sheep pen, and that's, that's like a, a circle of, of rocks built into a wall to protect the sheep from you know, the, the wolves and, and whatever else might come to attack them. And as part of this sheep pen, there would just be this small open space through which the shepherd could, could guide them in at nighttime to keep them safe from any threats. But because there was no door to this man-made sheep pen. It was just a circle of rocks piled into a wall with a gap. There was no door. There was no gate. It was just an, an open entryway. The shepherd would literally become the door by lying himself down in front of this entryway. And Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out, and will find pasture. Now let's just dig into this for a little moment, because in here, in this one verse, there are some promises. And the first promise is the promise of salvation. Let me just read to you from Romans chapter 5, just verses 8 to 9. It says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. We have been saved. We have salvation because of Jesus. He is the door. He is the only door. And through that door is salvation. And the second promise is the promise of his presence. This idea of going in and going out is about going into, entering into God's presence. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, it says, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. It's talking about the the presence of God, about going in and coming out of God's presence forever. And as we enter into God's presence, what is it that we find? What do we find in God's presence? We find safety. We find security. We find comfort. We find peace. We find joy when we enter into God's presence. And so Jesus is the door to God's presence. If anyone enters by me, it says, he will be saved. And he'll go in and he'll go out and he'll find pasture. 
And so thirdly, the third promise is this idea of finding pasture. And actually what that is talking about is it's about peace and it's about provision. We know that psalm, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That psalm is this, this picture of God's provision. We won't want for anything when we are in the pastures of our God. When we're walking with Jesus, we're, we're in these green pastures and we'll have everything that we need. Not every want, not every want, but every need he'll provide for us. Because the shepherd, Jesus, knows his sheep by name. He knows our individual needs even better than we know our needs. You know, often we can go to God in prayer and we can say, God, I'm just, I'm petitioning for this particular thing right now. I need breakthrough in this area. I need you to do this for me. And we go to God seeking specific things. And God might answer that because that might be what we need in that moment. But other times we don't see that answer to prayer that we're expecting because God sees everything, doesn't he? He knows it all. And so we might be saying, this right now is the most important need for me. But God's looking at the big picture and he's saying, that's not what you need. This is what you need. This is what you need right now. It's like that picture of the, the, the paralytic lowered through the roof of the building while Jesus was speaking. And the obvious need of this man is that he's paralyzed and he needs to walk. But Jesus knew his real need and his real need was forgiveness from his sins. And so instead of answering the request for healing, he gave him forgiveness. Of course, we know he did heal him as well, but he saw the main need and the main need was forgiveness. And so this promise of green pastures, this promise of, his, of God's provision, it's about what we need, not about what we want. And in Ezekiel chapter 34, it says, I will make a covenant of peace with my people and drive away the dangerous animals from the land. Then they will be able to camp safely in the wildest places and sleep in the woods without fear. It's, you can almost compare this picture that's being painted to the sheep and the sheepfold being protected from dangerous animals. I will bless my people and their homes around my holy hill. And in the proper season, I will send the showers they need. Not the showers they want, but the showers they need. And these will be showers of blessing. The orchards and the fields of my people will yield bumper crops. And everyone will live in safety. When I have broken their chains of slavery and rescued them from those who enslaved them, then they will know that I am Lord. They will no longer be prey for other nations and wild animals will no longer devour them. They will, live safe, they will live in safety and no one will frighten them. And I will make their land famous for its crops so my people will never again suffer from famines or the insults of foreign nations. In this way, they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them. And they will know that they, the people of Israel, are my people, says the sovereign Lord. And you are my sheep. You are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. And so this promise of finding pasture is also a covenant of peace. It's a promise of God's provision, but it's also a covenant of God's peace. 
His peace that is with us. His peace that is near us. His peace that passes all understanding. And it's a picture of his provision. I will send down showers of blessings. How beautiful is that picture? That he will send showers of blessings on his people. And so Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. And he's inviting us in. I am the door. All who enter will be saved. The promise of salvation. They will go in and out. Will go in and out. The promise of his presence. And they will find pasture. The promise of his peace and his provision. Jesus is the door. But there are only two doors, like I said at the beginning. There are only two doors. There's a door to life and there's a door to death. And if you choose to ignore Jesus, if you choose to miss Jesus like the Pharisees missed Jesus in this moment when he healed the blind man, that they rejected him, that they denied him. If you miss Jesus, then he calls you a thief and he calls you a robber. And that path, when you take another route to try and get into heaven, it only leads to one place, and that place is death and darkness. But if you acknowledge Jesus, and if you believe in him, if you enter through his door, the only door, then you'll enter into the light of life, and the light of Christ that shines in dark places, that light that eradicates the darkness, that light that takes away all of the struggles that we are facing, that even in, in, in times of temptation, when we walk with Jesus, when we enter into his light, it shines on that darkness and it lets us know that actually that is not the right decision, that is not the right way to go because his light shines on the true path. His light shines the right direction for us to walk and his light will eradicate the darkness from your life. And so instead of death, if you enter through his door, you will find life, you'll find salvation, you'll find the safety and the security of his presence. If you enter through his door, you will find this covenant of peace, you will find a promise of provision, you will experience showers of blessings from heaven. Jesus is the door. He is the door, the only entry point, the only route, the only way in. You can try other routes, like my friend who went to Ingleton Falls. You can try and find other ways into heaven, into God's presence, into his safety and security and peace and provision. You can try and find alternative routes, but they won't work. They won't work and they will only lead to pain and to suffering and to darkness and to disappointment and ultimately to death. But if you choose Jesus, if you choose the one who declared, I am the door, then you will find life. You'll find life. I have come that they may have life, he says, and have it abundantly. And have it abundantly. You know, some people see Jesus as restricting, as, as you know, if we want to go through this door, 
that Jesus is inviting us through, then we're going to have to stick to a whole bunch of rules and regulations. There's going to be a whole load of stuff that we have to do and a whole load of stuff that we are not allowed to do. I remember having a conversation with one of my friends at uni about faith and about God, and and he was so close to accepting Jesus. But for him, the barrier was what he saw as the rules and regulations of church, of faith, of religion. He was like, do you know what? I just, I enjoy drinking at the weekends. And so as, as sad as that might seem, just having a few too many drinks, that was the barrier for him entering into God's door because he didn't like the idea of having to stick to these rules and regulations. We can see Jesus sometimes as restricting us about taking away our freedom. But when we're seeing Jesus like that, when we're seeing him as restricting us, we're seeing freedom as living life how we want This idea of freedom to people who see God as restricting, as a set of rules and regulations, we're we're living out of this idea that in culture and society today, so many people live in that if it feels good, then it must be good. And so if I feel like it, I'm going to do it. If it looks good to me, if it's my truth, then I'm going to walk in it. But these people, they've missed the point. They've missed Jesus like the Pharisees missed Jesus when he healed the blind man because they weren't willing to accept or acknowledge that this man was of God and this man was able to heal. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. If we try to find our own way, if we miss Jesus, if we miss the invitation or we reject the invitation through the one true door, then we're missing the route to life. But Jesus said, I am the life. And who knows, he's got a better life for us than we could ever plan or imagine or think up for ourselves. He wants us to, to not just have a good life, but to have an abundant life to have an abundant life filled with his love, filled with his peace, filled with his joy and his comfort and those showers of blessings. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life I want to live. That's the kind of life I want to walk in. So Jesus says, I am the door and he's inviting you to step through that door. Will you open that door? Will you accept his invitation this morning? Will you enter into the one true door and begin to walk in the light of Jesus, in the provision of Jesus, in the security of Jesus. That's a good life. That's an abundant life. Amen? Let's pray. Yeah, Father God, we just thank you for this picture of Jesus as the door. And so I pray for each and every one of us here this morning that when there are times when we're tempted to to find a different route, to go off piste and maybe even risk ourselves getting hurt or damaged for the sake of of not being uh, humble enough to accept your invitation, that you will guide us back to the true path, that you will guide us back to the one door that is safe for us to enter that as we enter, we will 
begin to experience your light, your life, your provision. And so Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made on that cross where you not only suffered and died a a painful and horrible death, but then three days later you rose again. You rose again, creating that, that doorway for us to enter into the presence of our Heavenly Father, to enter into relationship with Almighty God. And so we hear your invitation this morning, and I pray that each and every one of us will accept that invitation, that we will enter through the one door, the one path, the one way that is Jesus Christ.